Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. And the last time the message was titled, Fishing or Fishing? Okay, so what Jesus did was he used the physical act of fishing to make a spiritual truth. So he made this transition from an actual catch of fish to how God's people who know the Lord want to share that wonderful news with others and sort of it's a metaphor of fishing to bring people into the kingdom. Pretty neat stuff. Today, we're looking sort of in similar, a similar vein and similar lines. And the message is titled, Which is Greater in Eternity? So, you know, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you know, well, you know, I was flipping through the channels on Discovery and it, it showed uh, something about Jesus healing a leper or healing a paralyzed person. And Jesus did a lot of healings in his earthly ministry. So we're going to look at some of that. But Jesus does something very interesting with this healing. He makes this transition, right? He changes the narrative on everybody. They think it's just going to be some typical day in the life of Jesus, healing somebody who's not doing well. But he moves over to a spiritual truth. And again, which is greater in eternity? Getting a physical healing, which is wonderful. Getting delivered from something in this world that's not good, which is wonderful. People come to God for a lot of reasons. But what Jesus wanted to impress upon us was the importance of knowing him, knowing the way to salvation, having our sins forgiven. Because our sins separate us from a holy and loving God. So Jesus came. Well, people think, if you, probably if you went on the street and you did kind of like one of the man-on-the-street surveys, what do you think Jesus came for? People would give you a lot of answers. Well, he fed a lot of, he fed the masses, he healed, he taught. But Jesus made it clear that the main reason he came to the earth was to die for our sins so that we could have that close fellowship with God once again. And we're going to look at this in five parts. So Luke 5. Starting with verse 16, I'm only going to cover 11 verses. It says, So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by. So those were your religious leaders of the day. Who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of of the Lord was present to heal them. So I need to stop there because it seems a little choppy. Um, I did study Greek, and the Greek sentence structure is very different than English. And Bible translators try to make it a very um, exact parallel. However, the Greek comes out a little bit different. What it means here was not that Jesus was waiting for the religious leaders to heal them, although he healed them too. But what it meant was is that, that people had come out And he had this power to heal everyone who came out. So I just needed to clarify that. It says, Then behold, men brought on a bed or a mat a man who was paralyzed, and they sought to bring him in and lay him before him, meaning Jesus. 
And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling in the midst of before Jesus. So when they saw, he saw their faith, Jesus sees the faith of the friends, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? It's, it's a good clue. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? So you could imagine they were around and they were thinking these things, but because they were religious leaders, they all were kind of thinking similar thoughts, and what was, they were, was in their minds, Jesus brought out and actually answered. Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, so he changes his attention. I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, he rose up before them and took what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Now listen, if we went out in the middle of Jamesburg on a beautiful day and, and that took place, we would think it was strange because we know that when we get sick, we go to the hospital and you know they patch us up and this is the way things go in the culture. But Jesus interrupted all of that. And we do see even miracles today when we pray. And we say, gee, how did that happen? Sometimes doctors are perplexed. I don't know how that person got better. And the person says, listen, I have a whole church praying for me. So he still interrupts the uh, anatomy and physiological system that he created to do these things. And the whole subject of healings is a complete other topic, which we'll eventually get to. So one out of five, one out of five parts is a paralytic is healed. Now, Matthew 9 and Mark 2 also give the same account. Verse 16, and this is what I do when I teach. I go into the background I get everybody up to speed, and then we move quickly through some of the more exciting parts, sort of like a movie, right? Uh, so let me just go through some of this background. Jesus withdraws into the wilderness to pray. How would we know this if he was by himself? When the biographies of Jesus were done, Jesus was very clear to make sure his followers knew, I need to withdraw, I need to go some alone time, and I need to go God the Son communicating with God the Father. Now, we're going to talk about a sub-theme, because not all the world is convinced. When I do debate and apologetics, I can easily prove through history that a man named Jesus lived. I can prove through non-Christian sources, historians, Roman, Jewish historians, that he, in fact, this person did live some 2,000 years ago. But then we move to the part of, well, was he really God? Was he God the Son? And that's some people have difficulty with, but you can get them through that, through the Bible, through extra-biblical sources, through history, and, and many other things. So Jesus goes in the wilderness to pray. Now remember, when God the Son had come to the earth, he, a lot of what he did was to teach us while he was in human form what we should be doing. So the apostles would emulate, his followers would emulate him, and he would lead by example. And this is important because for the deity of Christ, when Christ was in heaven, God the Son, before he came to the earth, before he took the form of a man, 
Did he pray to the Father? My answer would be no. They had, they had discussions. This was a different, what's called dispensation, when he's in human form. A lot of things he did while in human form, he didn't do prior to the incarnation. It's very, very important to understand because people could get confused, right? So he's fully God and fully man. So let's move a little quicker. Verse 17, you see these religious leaders coming out to check out Jesus. Now, in, when you look at the law of Moses, you look at the Old Testament, there was a purity there that God had set forth in his word. However, over time, unfortunately, just like even today, the religious system had become corrupt and turned a lot of people off. These guys had memorized God's word. They knew God's word, but they misapplied it. They became haughty. They became political. If you look at non-Christian, non-biblical sources, historical sources, they will tell you of the corruption in the religious system where they tried to get power and they had this love-hate relationship with the Roman authorities, and they were the aristocrats, which God never in intended. And again, do we see that in religion today? Of course we do. But they came out to test to see if Jesus was really the person he said he was. In that respect, what they did was good, but again, they misapplied it. So even today, we'll, we'll talk about a, a supposed Christian ministry that's corrupt or preys on their followers. P-R-E-Y-S. And the Bible tells us to test the spirits. Don't just go along with anything that you see on television or in, even here if you're new to the church. That's why you all have Bibles. Am I saying something that's out of line? Keep me in check. Read the scripture along with me. Very important. I was taught that early on. Unfortunately, these religious leaders, they, they missed the fact that Jesus was God. They had a jealousy and a power structure that they wanted to hold on to so bad that they you see people today you could see it in black and white but they want to believe what they want to believe and they can't open their mind to some truth so um, but the good news is later on john chapter 3 acts 6 7 many of the priests so the pharisees uh, some of those people came turned to faith in christ acts 7, acts 6 7 there was there was um, no need for a priesthood after Christ came, uh, after this new dispensation. So many of the priests had turned to Christ. They were like, yeah, he fulfilled everything that we, we understood in the Old Testament. Unfortunately, there was still a group of those who were stuffy, they were critical, and they wouldn't know a work of the Holy Spirit if it hit them over the head. So that's who we're dealing with right here. And again, I say this, and, and I've had some discussions, especially with some of the people in this church, uh, some of the young adults that they know, and, and they say, hey, I've heard your testimony. I'm going to tell my friend because he or she's struggling with the same thing. As a, as a teenager, as a young man in my 20s, I was totally turned off to religion, and I went my own way. Sadly enough, I equated God with clergy because I didn't know any better. When I st started to understand God, I didn't have a need for some of this weird stuff that was going on, the control, the power, and I had a relationship with God. It was, it was beautiful. Uh, and I look back, and again, it was my fault because I equated these representatives with God, and they were not. So you see a lot of, 2,000 years later, you see a lot of things in the scripture that still hold true today, what is, what, especially for young people. You can't tell young people, don't question us. 
I love when people question and ask me questions. I want to give them the answers. Um, and it turns off a whole generation of young people to, to God because of the so-called representatives. Um, so yes, tell us how you really feel, Pastor Joe. <laughs> so, but I'm really glad that I had come around and I had done the research and I'm like, you know, I don't need these people. I mean, I have friends who are, whatever, I just, we'll just move on. Verse 18, continuing on, it says, Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they sought to bring him and lay him before him, meaning Jesus. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling, the tiling on the roof, into the midst before Jesus. So two is, these are the type of friends we want. <laughs> these are the type of friends we want. And basically, is a guy who's disabled. Is he a quadriplegic? The Bible doesn't give us that much detail, except the guy can't walk. He can't care for himself. So his friends go to his house, and they're like, listen, we're going on a road trip. That's my paraphrase. We're going to go see Jesus, and I hear, we hear he heals people. So these are the friends that never give up on you, that stay with you during difficulties, and they hear about Jesus, and they take a chance. Now, what did that entail? So this is my joy, is going back into the ancient manuscripts and the history, and what were the houses like, and you know, what were the mats like. So I go through all this. So they carry their disabled friend on a bed, or what we would understand, a mat. Now this wasn't a California King mattress with a steel frame, right? Because <laughs> I don't think they would have got very far. But this was a rudimentary mat that they makeshift kind of thing that they would put their friend on. They would tie ropes, probably four guys, to the corners, or three, or however many there were. And each one of them could take 25% or 33% and a third of his weight, and they could make their way towards Jesus without too much trouble. But it still wasn't easy. How many miles did they have to go? How, how close was the next village? Was it hot out? Right? And I think of these things. Um, then they get to the house. Hey, we made it. Well, not quite, because everybody else heard Jesus was teaching too, and you can't get in. It's standing room only. So Jesus is in the house. He starts teaching and then, you know, people flock to God's word in its purity. People don't flock to religion, some do. But when you hear God's word, it's refreshing to the soul. So just like today, back in those days, they just were, you know, the doorway was probably crowded, every window, some people were, you know, looking through. And these poor guys want to get their friend to Jesus. They can't slip through the crowd because they, they have the guy on the mat. So what do we do, Right. They're not going to give up on them, though, are they? Now, the, the houses in those days, probably because, you know, a large part of the society was, we would understand, really not a lot of middle to upper middle class, mostly probably lower middle class, poor, and then you had your aristocracy. So the homes were very simple. And to probably maximize living space, and this is a fact, they had, they had most of the houses had flat roofs. And they would uh, have a sort of set of steps, and you know, on a beautiful evening that was warm and the sun was setting, it wasn't too hot. They would, you know, get their lawn chairs. I don't know what type of lawn chairs they had, and they would hang out up on the roof and socialize. So the friends see they can't get into the building, so they go up and they end up on the roof. Now. 
Because if I don't explain that, sometimes people say, well, what are they, Spider-Man? You know, <laughs> they're hanging up on the roof and they got some guy. And it wasn't, it was probably difficult, but probably it was, it was obviously doable. And now they're on the roof, think about this, and they can hear Jesus, maybe see him through, because they weren't shingled roofs like we have today. Um, you couldn't afford metal roofs if you were an average villager. So what the roof was made of was sort of a thatch of natural materials and a clay. And you know if you bake clay in the sun, it could turn to like a brick-like material, depending on what you're putting it into. So they would take this, this, these natural materials, they would uh, put, mix it with a, a clay from the earth. Where I used to live, there, were, there was clay everywhere. When it rained, it would take days for the water to subside. And uh, they would bake it. And then they would put it on like, like tiles, not really shingles, but tiles, and they would lay it across the, uh, the framing. And it probably wouldn't, didn't stop the water 100%, but it did a good enough job. So the friends are there with their disabled. You're probably saying, who's ever gone into so much detail? But I love it. I love picturing the scene here, you know? And they hear Jesus. They got their friend. Huh, they're probably taking a breath after carrying up the stairs. And then they start to remove of this guy's house these tiles and, and put them, stack them, and then there's the framing. But now they can see Jesus, and they can hear Jesus. And they so badly wanted their friend to get well. You ever have that? You know, you, you have a friend, and they're suffering, and they're struggling, and you'll do anything for that person because you're, you're filled with compassion. So these friends now probably take the same ropes that they use to lift them do, 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 as they're singing a song, going towards the village where Jesus was. Now they take those same ropes, and they're pretty smart guys. They, they, they start to lower them down, you know what I'm saying? Um, and he's, he ends up, the guy can't move. He's laying there, and he comes down, and I can imagine Jesus smiling. Obviously, I wasn't there. No one's, no one's been there and told me. But I could imagine Jesus really smiling when he saw this because there was a great display of faith. And we know the rest of the story. So continuing on, uh, these are the friends that we want. They not only ministered to him physically, but they ministered to him spiritually. Why? Because they knew where to take him. They knew where to take him. These are the friends who love you for who you are, not what you can do, as this guy couldn't do much for his friends, and he was probably poor and had to rely on donations because he couldn't work, but his friends loved him. And folks, we do this today too. You know, we, when you read about our culture, American culture, how it's becoming so selfish, it's becoming so decadent, um, relationships... I mean, the statistics are not good on marriage and even friend type of relationships. Um, and, and when we read something like this, we say to ourselves, you know what, those are the friends that I want in my life. Some people don't even have that in their own family members. But this is important. There's one word, reciprocity. Are we those type of friends? Ooh, when we look at the mirror and say, am I that type of friend? So we want those types of friends, but are we also those type of faithful friends? And, see, and sometimes this, this bleeds, and i got to be honest, if I don't make this application, sometimes this bleeds into Christianity or the church where people come into the church and they, they're very critical. 
and they, they want A, B, and C out of their church, but what are they willing to provide? Church is supposed to, right, amen, pers- church, is see a lot of head shaking. Church is supposed to be a community, right? When I go into a situation and, and, and I make friends or I um, get to know somebody, I want to make sure that I'm also a reliable. And, I, and when I'm wrong, I say I'm sorry, I apologize, because we make mistakes, we're not perfect. But reciprocity is very, very important. And let me just say this as well. Um, I've talked about this a lot, especially with the rise of addictions, I mean, to breathtaking levels that's not really being covered. But if you go on the CDC website and you, you see it's bad out there. You know, I mean, before I was a Christian, me and my buddies, I was guilty too, was misery loves company. And we would get ourselves when we were not feeling good entangled in the wrong things. But not these friends. These friends knew where to take their buddy. They could have got a wineskin and filled it with wine and threw it at the guy and said, drown your sorrows tonight, you'll feel fine, and hopefully you won't think about it in the morning. But they didn't. They took him to Jesus. You know? And what do we do as friends? You know? And you see this sometimes in the world. And this is not a treatise or an argument against social drinking. I'm not going there. I don't judge anybody of what they do. But is our answer to always bring our friends somewhere where we know we're going to get ourselves into trouble? Hey, let's go to the bar and and drown our sorrows. That's vacuous. There's no power in that. You know? What type of friends do we have? What type of friends are we? Something we need to pray about sometimes. So, sometimes with friends, and you know, we, we just need to be a good listener. I counseled somebody a few weeks ago, and he was talking and talking and talking and talking. And it was cool. I was listening. I smiled. I heard everything he said. And then he stopped and said, okay, what do you say? Well, that's, that's, that's a great cue. Okay, so then I started sharing, you know what I'm saying? But I like to talk, as you can tell. But at some point, I just had to be quiet and listen to the person bear their soul. Because how can I help them if I don't know what's wrong? So there's just a lot of really neat things we can do. Um, to be that type of support system. There's a lot here. I mean, these guys, they did everything right. Verse 20, So when he, Jesus, saw their faith, the faith of the friends, he said to him, the man, very important, sentence structure, man, your sins are forgiven you. I love that. Three, is there a misunderstanding? You know? And I don't know went down, and, and I don't know, did the thinking, did they think, you know, Jesus, maybe we're at the wrong seminar, but we came to the healing seminar, not the man, your sins are forgiven seminar. So it starts off where Jesus is going in a direction that that's not what they came for. But this is why this is so important, is because Jesus knew what was much more important, right? So they're focusing on, they go through all this trouble to minister to this man's physical needs. And Jesus says, Man, your sins are forgiven. You know what I love about Jesus is he would just let it sit for a little bit. Like if I say something and I feel like somebody misunderstood me or I said something wrong, I want to correct it right away. Of course, Jesus didn't say anything wrong, but he, he said it and he let it settle. How did it settle in the friends? How did it settle in the paralytic? For a moment, did he think, oh no, it's not going to work out for me. How did it settle with the religious leaders? What do you mean? How could you say something like that? Right? But this was a little bit of a learning curve to understand that 
there was far greater value in a spiritual healing than in a physical healing. Even Jesus, when he, now this is metaphoric, we're going to get to this part of scripture, when he talked about your eye, you know, causes you to sin, pluck it out, your hand, chop it off. Of course, he didn't mean that literally. But he said, better to get into heaven maimed than to go to hell whole. So, two working legs, well, that's great. That's great. But what about eternity? What about where you're going to spend the rest of eternity? I want to go back to where it says Jesus saw their faith. Remember, this is the faith of the friends. So what this tells us is it wasn't that the man said, hey guys, can you come over? Um, I heard Jesus is preaching. You guys got to carry me. It was more the friends came to his house and said, hey, you know, you've been praying for a long time and you've been struggling and, you know, we, we want to help you out. There's Jesus is going to be over at this place. Is it possible, and I don't know this for a fact, this is Pastor Joe's conjecture, is it possible that the disabled man said, leave me alone, I'm depressed, I don't want to go. I don't have any hope left in me. And you know what? We have a culture filled with people who say that. And then you might be the one who says, you know what, I want to take you somewhere. I want you to be open-minded, I want you to listen, because I think this is really going to help you. Boy, can we see the parallels in this? Can we see the applications in this? Right? And we can have, listen, I don't, I try never to, in the early days I was, but I try never to be obnoxious about my faith. I really want people to see a better way. I want them to be well. But sometimes a person will fight you tooth and nail and, and they just are adamant where they don't want to. But this man, he, he was receptive to this idea. Who knows, did the friends ever say, listen, you can fight with us all you want, but we're taking you, whether you like it or not, you're going to be healed. Don't we have those conversations sometimes as friends? Like in our culture, we read so much about, we, we don't want to trigger each other, we don't want to, oh my goodness, we, we all dance around, and there's not real relationships. Because sometimes relationships is you really want it more than they want it. You really, you know you can get them to help. That's the type of friend you are, and they're fighting with you. <laughs> and how many times have you done that and helped? The person gets helped, and the fifth time, the sixth time, and they, they fight, they start all over again. <laughs> like, listen, I've always been here for you. You've got to trust me on this. You've got to listen to me. So, powerful stuff here. Powerful stuff. Now, we're going to look at four indicators that show us that Jesus was God. He was God the Son. He was fully man. He was fully God. One of the things was Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith. Jesus wasn't there when they picked the guy up on the mat. Jesus wasn't there when they were walking from village to village. Jesus was teaching. The first time Jesus see these, sees these men is when <laughs> they're moving the tiling and the sun shining and there's five faces staring down at him. But Jesus immediately knew he looked at their faith, the faith of the friends. Now, I don't know about you, but when I take off my shirt, I don't have a faith meter underneath. There's not little buttons and stuff like on your computer that tell you how much cell phone usage you have left or whatever. So 
even, I don't know myself at any given moment, is my faith at 100%? Is it 80? Is it at 60? I don't know. Jesus was able to tell just from that snapshot of time that those friends had faith. So one out of four, or A, B, C, and D, A is that Jesus could know the state of somebody's faith just by being there. Only God could do something like that. We're going to look at three more before we, we complete the sermon. Verse 21, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason. Now as we read further, this is something that they're all thinking in their minds. Right? They, they begin to reason, saying, Who is this, meaning Jesus, who speaks blasphemies? Blasphemy is some awful thing attributed or said about God. It's, it's a horrible thing when, you know, if you're a Christian and you're in the presence of somebody who's just cursing God out or whatever, that's blasphemous. Um, blasphemy is also taking, twisting spiritual truth. So because they did not believe yet that Jesus was God the Son, they could only come to a conclusion is prophet or no prophet, nobody says those things. Who can say your sins are forgiven? So they continue, who can forgive sins but God alone? Four, who can forgive sins besides God? And the answer is nobody. Only God can. And when you come to Jesus, you're either coming to somebody who you know, it's funny, and people do this, and I've even friends, sadly enough, that call themselves Christians. Jesus never said, I am God. He doesn't have to. He doesn't, Jesus, God respects himself. He doesn't have to throw a tantrum. He doesn't have to say it ten times. He does four things that are obvious that the other people come to the conclusion he's either God, or he's a madman, or he's a blasphemer. Those are the three choices with Jesus. You can't say he was a great guy, he was a nice guy. You have to make a decision who this Jesus is and if you'll follow him. Because if he is God and he's the only way to salvation, you have to really consider that. So, I've got to be honest with you. If I couldn't say, <clears throat> somebody came up here right now and I could, I could say, your sins are forgiven. I hope everybody would leave the church if I said that, because I would be a heretic. That would be weird. That is way above my pay grade. <laughs> so, you know, it was a bumper sticker or a meme that said, uh, stop applying, wait a minute, see, of course, now, and I didn't think about it beforehand, so I'm going to butcher it. Uh, stop applying for God's position. It's already, the position's already taken. So, there you go. He's either God or he's a blasphemer. You have to ask yourself, why didn't Jesus... Everything was, was going just fine, Jesus. He was teaching. There was crowds, right? Teachers love when a lot of people are listening to what they say. And then the, the tiles open up and a, a paralyzed man comes down and Jesus heals him and sends him. The guy picks up the mat that he was laying on. Wow, Jesus, what a great day. Why'd you have to go messing it up by saying that you're God stuff and every now everybody's confused and there's an answer to that is that the deity of Jesus of Christ trickled out in digestible pieces I like to say that during his earthly ministry because connected to those miracles right 
was that people needed to know their sins needed to be forgiven. The Bible tells us that our sins separate us from God. And that's the human condition. But Jesus came to repair that fractured relationship, that estranged relationship, by putting the bridge down again between sinful human flesh and a holy and perfect God. The healing was a visible manifestation Man came in, atrophied leg muscles, can't move. People in the next village knew, oh yeah, I know that guy. He's been that way for, you know, since he was born. I don't know. So there was a visible manifestation when he gets up. But the visible manifestation is connected to an invisible claim of being able to forgive his sins. So Jesus groups, this is important, he's grouping the two, which is easier to say. Rise up, take your mat, walk or your sins are forgiven. i got to be honest with you, if somebody brought someone up to here in a wheelchair and asked me, I'd say both are, both are impossible. I'm sweating. I'm getting anxiety. Unless God is working through me, um, and certainly the forgiveness of sins part, there's no way I would ever say that. I would say Jesus has forgiven your sins, not me. Get, get up and walk. <sighs> Man, I'm sweating. That one's tough too, right? So he's he's grouping the two of them together, but The healing is temporary and the lesser of the two manifestations. Think about this. Death of the body, medical term, is a cessation of vital bodily functions, including heartbeat, brain activity, and breathing, causing an organism to cease to live. Jesus resurrected people like Lazarus, and he died again. We don't know when it was. Was it a failed resurrection? No. But like gravity and Bernoulli's principle... Once, once speed starts to slow down, gravity takes over to, from, from Bernoulli's principle. God has spiritual principles too. The, the resurrection was awesome. However, Lazarus was still confined to his sinful fleshly body. Now, Jesus is going to do a resurrection in the future that it's never going to end. Right? It's going to be forever, 1 Corinthians 15. Here's another one. What would be the benefit for this man... Let's say his name is Fred. I don't know his name. So Fred goes from a quadriplegic to a fully functioning person, able to run, jump, skip, do whatever he wants. This is hypothetical. Only to die a year later from a heart attack, finds himself in a casket whole with formerly functioning limbs, but his sins aren't forgiven. Folks, we focus on this world. Even in the church, this, this has to be repeated. I have to hear it for myself. And, you know, I have to laugh. You know, I like to, I, I like the, the body God gave me. I like to do things. I like to be physically active. I do a lot outside. I love when the warm weather comes. I go to the gym. <laughs> but listen, when you, when you hit your 50s, you realize you're not stopping the aging process. You know? I never used to think like this in my 20s and 30s. But when I hit my 50s, I'm like, man, just getting up in the morning takes about 20 minutes for all the snap, crackle, pops. and some, I had I was struggling with TMJ lately, and if I sneeze too hard, my jaw pops. I'm like, I say to my wife, this is just the weirdest thing. And we kind of laugh about getting older, you know? She's... She's got her own things. Like, we both have our issues. Our dogs are getting old, and they got stuff, and, you know, we take care of rescue horses, and they got problems, and it just, you'll see. If you're in your 20s and 30s, don't just focus on the body, right? 
Great, you're laughing at my expense. I appreciate that. Sometimes that's too much information. So, what does Christ offer us? He offers us eternity. And, you know, you ever see the Renaissance painting of the, you know, the, the angels and the saints and they're just floating from cloud to cloud and they got wings? I've got to be honest with you, that's not my idea of a good time. And that's not reflected in Scripture. God is going to... He, so in this dispensation, 2022... For it's going on for 2,000 years. He wants to revive the spirit. He wants to regenerate our spirit, our soul, to have our minds start thinking more functionally. However, there will be a future occurrence where he does the same thing to the body. Body, mind, spirit. We're trichotomous beings. It's coming. It's not yet, but it's coming. So we, we have to get out of, the, out of the idea of just thinking about how many people today, right? Let's say you man on the street, you go out and you do an interview and you say, well, if Jesus came today and you do a percentage, you interview a thousand people, how many people just out in the street, you gave them a, a, a choice. Jesus can come. He can either make you fully physical. You could do whatever you want physically now till you die, or you can have your sins forgiven. You know how many people would pick the former? Because that's the way the world is geared. We're so, vi- we're so busy looking at everything horizontally that we forget to look up vertically. You, you see what I'm saying? It's just a, it's, and it takes a while. It's, it's a, a learning curve, as I like to say. Um, here's another thing. We're also going to get to be with God. There's the obvious. Going to get to be with God. Amen? Last few verses, 22. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, remember, this is the religious leaders now thinking in their minds, this guy's a blasphemer. I enjoyed his teaching up to now. I'm really not happy with him. How could he equate himself with God? He answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, you, or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, the word is, he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear. It's a little unsettling to see stuff like that, right? What did we just experience? You ever say that? Saying, we have seen strange things today. Five out of five is miracles and mind reading. Verse 22, Jesus said, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Sometimes we can focus on, oh, Jesus said he could forgive sins, and Jesus healed a man who was paralyzed. And you get into this debate, which one's greater? And you could debate it, and everybody misses the fact that he read minds. I don't know about you, but if I was out in the lobby and you read my mind verbatim of what I was thinking... I'd be a little freaked out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can get an idea based on people's facial expressions, what they're thinking. But Jesus knew exactly what their issue was with him, with him, and he revealed it openly. So which is easier to say? Both of them are impossible. Neither one of these things could be accomplished outside the person of God himself. So he did the visible 
to confirm that he had power over the invisible, which was the first thing he said. The ability to forgive sins. Leaves us doubtless that he equated himself with God. So let's look at wrap up, because we're just about um, at the end. Four things Jesus did in these, is it, I don't know, 11 verses. He healed a man who was a paralytic. That's big. He was able to read the minds of the religious leaders at the same time. He forgave the sins of the man who was disabled. And let's not forget the thing in the beginning. He was able to read the faith of the friends. There's five guys looking down at him from the roof. And he knows that four of them, or three, I don't know what the number is. I'm just making an assumption. That the ones who were the friends were the ones who had the faith. Four things in these few verses. And the miracle was done immediately. Typical day in the life of Jesus. Starts with a teaching, ends with a miracle. If you understand the physiology of paralysis, I love one of my favorite subjects in school and college was anatomy and physiology. If someone has been in a state of disability, right? Let's say it's a, a nerve injury. We don't know what happened. Was it an accident that the guy had when he was young? Was it something when he was delivered, when he was born? We don't know. But let's assume that there was some damaged nerve. And let's just guess that 10, 15 or so years, he was in this position where he couldn't get up. He had to be cared for. Few things have to be happened, even in a medically miraculous situation. Number one, the nerve has to be regenerated. It's either got to be reconnected or whatever the myelin sheath or I love this stuff. It's got to be, it's got to be healthy enough because it's it, they're like wires, nerve. They're just really hard to they're tiny, and they send signals, and they receive signals right brain to the body part and then back, um, receptor and messenger. The atrophied leg muscles from all the years of not being able to walk would have atrophied. They might have shrunk to half their original size or less. So even, let's say medical, they, oh, we reconnect nerves. The guy can't just get up and walk. He can't even stand because his muscles are atrophied. So what he needs is hypertrophy, which is the opposite. He needs more muscle tissue to be able to hold the frame of his body. Let's keep going. His heart would have been used to the inactivity, which would now need strengthening. To actually stand and walk for the heart for somebody who's been in that position for that many years, you would have a heart attack. The heart can't handle it. It's not used to it, right? The brain needed to relearn how to receive and send signals to the legs. And there's probably some things I'm forgetting. And Luke tells us that it happened immediately. And that's our God. He doesn't worry. He doesn't get concerned. He doesn't say, I don't know how to do this. I've never done this before. It happened immediately. It happens without surgery, without strength training, or physical therapy. And that's the power of the God we served. There's a lot of things in the Bible about the future. And I think one of the biggest questions I get is about what's going on in our world today. This is just the death throes of a world that's been marred by sin. Just like in Genesis, he's going to remake everything. I wonder sometimes, and I, I do a lot of thinking, like a child, 
God's my Father. And I, I wonder why this and why that. Why is he taking so long? Look how bad it is in the world. And I think because humans, and I'll, I'll speak for myself, we're stubborn. We're a stubborn race of people. And you could see the miracles. You could see God's work and still deny it. You could see it right in front of you. The children of Israel survived the plagues of Egypt. They were able to cross the Red Sea. And when they were in the wilderness, they started grumbling again. But I'm not pointing a finger at them because we can do the same thing. And it's like God needs to show us for thousands of years of human history, oh, we're so smart, we have technology, we have biotechnology. The smarter we get, the more advances we get, the dumber we get as a culture. The more we push against the one who can bring us together and, and cause healing, this is where our culture is. So it's great. Everything is so wonderful, but everything is so depressing at the same time. Isn't that weird? Whether it's the CDC or the uh, National... Institute of Health or the American Psychiatric uh, Association, they were all saying the same thing. This stuff is not, it's not hidden. It's out in the open. And it doesn't matter how smart we get. Without Christ, we're a hopeless world. You know, I've studied uh, a lot of history. Nazi Germany, they came out with jets before we did. They came out with rockets before we did. They came out with everything. And God stopped them. They were some of the smartest people on the earth. But look what they did. So intelligence and education and all that stuff, it's great. But it isn't the solution. It's not the solution. God is the solution. Christ is the solution. So as we continue, which is greater in eternity, which was the title? Physical healing or spiritual healing? Again, many would opt for the former. But we know that the spiritual healing is what Jesus wanted us to see because that is what's going to keep us into eternity. We'll all be with God in the end because this world is temporary. And again, people look for a lot of things. They look for emotional stability, which is a good thing. They look for a change of their ways, fulfillment, better relationships, to kick uh, substance abuse. And they, they want to find Jesus to do this. And that's great. Those are all wonderful goals. However, However, the most important thing is to have a restored relationship with the living God and to be assured and promised safe passage into eternity and beyond. Jesus did a lot of amazing things, but the most amazing thing he came was to remove the sin barrier which separates the human race from a perfect God. My question to you is, what do you seek this morning? If you don't have a strong relationship with Jesus Christ, why are you here? Why are you sitting there? Why are you watching on the live stream? Hopefully, the number one reason is to get closer with your God. And you may not, you may sort of intuitively know what you need, but you can't articulate it. We're going to give you an opportunity to come and receive Jesus. You're not coming to this church. You're not coming to me. It doesn't matter where you go after this. God is everywhere. He's going to be with you. So consider the most important thing, why Jesus came. Because he loves you, and he wants you to be in his kingdom for all eternity. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. 
On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.